Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously, of all the pop culture events that have been going on this week, I feel like the fact that the Harry Potter play script has been released has been the biggest one, don't you? Absolutely. When we discussed you're going to see the play a few weeks ago, we did say that when the playtext came out, we were going to talk in depth and in detail about it. And that day has now arrived. Yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. So if you haven't finished reading the play or are going to go see the play or don't want to be spoiled for this like step away now go as far away as you possibly can we're going hard we're going in depth we're going absolutely spoiler full down to the last detail this is for harry potter fans who have already read or seen the cursed child or don't care that they're about (laughs) to find out exactly what happens in it because and that leads me quite seamlessly on to my first point which is that I didn't like this play. Mm, yeah, that's probably something we should say from the outset is that we perhaps we were perhaps not the biggest fans we of were this not. script. But for those who don't know and are choosing to listen anyway, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is a play in two parts by J.K. Rowling, John Tiffany and Jack Thorne following on from the Harry Potter series. Advertising itself as the eighth story, the script went on sale on Sunday so that Harry Potter fans worldwide who can't make the sold out show in London can read the new work for themselves. The general plot is basically as follows. Harry and Ginny's son, Albus Severus Potter... Who we met very briefly in the epilogue to the seventh book. Yeah, he's going off to school along with Hermione and Ron's daughter, Rose Granger Weasley, and Draco Malfoy's son, Scorpius, all of whom we glimpsed in the epilogue. Albus and Scorpius are both quite unpopular at school and they become best friends as a result. Oh, and as set up in the epilogue, Albus bucks the trend of his family and gets sorted into Slytherin rather than Gryffindor, hence why he and Scorpius are best buddies. So Albus and Severus meet Cedric Diggory's cousin, Delphi Diggory, who persuades them to go back in time using a time-turner to save her cousin, who died in the Triwizard Tournament in the fourth book fans of the series will remember. And that event was part of the advent of the return of Voldemort that then played out over the next three books. Yeah, they accept this challenge and every time they go back, Albus and Scorpius basically end up altering the future, messing everything up, and they end up bringing back Voldemort. 
Once they fix that mess, Delphi Diggory reveals herself as not actually Cedric's cousin at all, but actually the daughter of Voldemort and Bellatrix Lestrange. And then she takes Albus and Scorpius back in time again to the night of Harry's parents' death, where she hopes to stop Voldemort from killing Harry and thereby ensure his rise to power. Then, using some weird trick with a blanket, they alert Harry, Ron, Hermione, Ginny and Draco, who all go back in time to stop her. Using a second time turner. Yeah. That just happens to pop up. Yeah, that's basically the whole story. Yeah, that's that's the story. And as you can tell from the tone of our voices, we had lots of problems with it. My immediate bias here, I hate time travel. I hate time travel and stuff. I didn't particularly enjoy the time travel in Prisoner of Azkaban, although it was dealt with in a completely different way to this play and was much better as a result, I think. But yeah, time travel is so complicated and raises so many more questions than it answers and yeah. it just seems like a weird choice for this play i don't hate it quite as much as you do i have liked various doctor who things in the past and stuff but i like it with a caveat which is it has to obey its own rules not only does this contradict jk rowling's previous dabble into time travel which she herself has said that she didn't like very much yeah i've got that quote mm. here she says i went far too lightheartedly into the subject of time travel in harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban while i don't regret it it opened up a vast number of problems for me because after all if wizards could go back and undo their problems where were my future plots i solved the problem to my own satisfaction in stages and then she explains how she basically had Dumbledore and Hermione be like, time travel's really dangerous. She had Hermione give back the time turner to mm. Hogwarts and then she destroyed all in the Department of Mysteries during that battle there. And she says, this is just one example of the ways in which when writing fantasy novels, one must be careful what one invents. For every benefit, there is usually a drawback. And none of that stuff was really resolved in this play. Yeah. It just all became more complicated. I, and I feel like she contradicted her own advice there mm. by not only on a slightly thin premise bringing back this idea of the time turner as a device she also changed what it could do because the time turner that Hermione has in the prison of Azkaban she has to turn it a set number of times and you can just redo immediately preceding hours can't Mm -hmm. you so you turn it three times to go back three hours then you do those three hours again Mm -hmm. so you can't jump decades back in time there are some like attempts by the writers here to be like oh this one looks different to the other one yeah and like oh this one seems a bit broken and stuff but We've had no indication before that there would be lots of different ways of travelling through time. Yeah, that's true, actually. It's just not very convincing to be like, oh, but a couple survived. There's not even one that survives in this play. There's, like, two. There's two, yeah. It seems like everyone actually has one knocking around somewhere, so it feels a little bit like a cheat, perhaps, to be like, oh, you thought they were all gone. You were wrong, lol. Yes, exactly. One thing I will say that I did quite like about the story was its focus on Cedric Diggory. Mm-hmm. as as a pivotal point in the story i did think that was really good because although it in the books emotionally it carries significance for harry two three books later he's still thinking about the fact that you know cedric who was completely uninvolved in any of this just died as the spare i feel like maybe it doesn't get given so much emphasis by the likes of dumbledore and stuff for being so pivotal and and as more characters die it it fades sort of, yeah yeah whereas i so i thought the fact that it was identified by both good and bad sides as a in this play as the crux of everything. That was good. That it's was certainly tonally as well yeah. for the books, the point where everything becomes a lot darker. Suddenly people can die. Yes, and people who aren't really fighting, mm-hmm. just innocent bystanders. That relates, I think, to a bit of the plot that I didn't like. So I agree with you that Cedric dying is actually a huge deal for the series mm. and it's 
powerful because it's just this one innocent person who gets slain out of nowhere. I thought it was really a crazy choice to go back to the night where Harry's parents died. Yes, I agree. So they time travel back to that night at basically the climax of the whole play. And I found that just to be such a weird choice because the power of that night comes from the fact that, although obviously it was not that ordinary a night because Voldemort was rising to power, in the context of Voldemort's rise, it's a pretty average night. He's killing some people as he has been doing every night for months. There's nothing about them that should be special, but the power of love changed that night and made it interesting. And that's the only exceptional part of that entire evening when you've got like five people from the future fighting the daughter (laughs) of Voldemort suddenly the whole thing is really really complicated and it's like extraordinary spectacle and it changes for me what makes that moment in the book so significant and what makes it resonate decades later uh, which was sad for me yeah I agree that night was kind of sacred in Harry's mind Mm. and I think in generally because it becomes so part of the mythology of the wizarding world Mm -hmm. and yeah they just ripped it up Mm. in a way that was frustrating I would have really liked if this had been centered more in Hogwarts in the time of the original if it had just been about Albus and Scorpius just trying to make their way in school having problems with other students learning a bit of magic maybe finding something weird and dark and threatening that wasn't actually to do with Voldemort in the school that's the kind of sequel I would have liked something that was structurally a lot more similar to a Harry Potter book something that maybe followed these characters in detail with their peers I didn't feel like it was necessary to keep raking over events that we already knew and loved. You can move it on. There were lots of areas where they could have done something new in the same world, but instead they just rehashed the same stuff, but from a different angle. And undermined what we thought we knew about it. Yeah, and this I think the same can be said of the treatment of some of the characters, actually. So the characters we know from the book, and the ones we know particularly well, i.e. Harry, Ron, Hermione, Ginny, are in some ways kind of undermined by their portrayal in this play. Yeah, which did you have particular problems with? Ron. Yes. Was the worst one. So Ron in the books is this quick to temper, insecure, quite volatile, blunt character who then in the seventh book, you know, he's wearing the Horcrux for a lot of the time that they're on the run from Voldemort. He's affected worse by it than Harry or Hermione. Eventually leads to him sort of abandoning them and then coming back. And his coming back is a really crucial plot point. So Ron has depth, is what I'm trying to say, in the books. Play Ron does not have depth. (laughs) Play Ron is like your dad's divorced friend who he wishes he wasn't friends with but out of pity is still friends with him yeah and like comes around with like some practical jokes for everyone he comes around with shit presents Mm. and is constantly making terrible jokes that his heart isn't really in them there's that line in the play where he says that he's really chilled out compared to everyone else (laughs) which just drove me crazy because it's like have you met ron like yeah. no he's not chilled he's out not at chilled all. about anything <laughs> <laughs> harry and hermione are a lot cooler in a crisis than ron yeah T- incidentally i thought that harry and hermione were, were strong i yeah, thought they were well they were okay well adapted well portrayed there were some moments with both of them there's this weird moment where they go back in time and ron and hermione have never got married and hermione yes. is a teacher at hogwarts and she's really really bitter and really angry and really mean to everyone and the implication is that because she didn't marry ron it like changed her and she became this like very bitter twisted person which i just think is like a quite anti-feminist the idea that like hermione's best parts are basically ron Mm. and just not true like i think hermione would have been absolutely fine without ron i think she loves ron and 
you know, she loves him as a husband rather than as a friend. But if she had ended up loving him as a friend, she would have been absolutely fine. Yeah, and... there, there's a, a fic actually that I really like that addresses this where it's set about 10, 12 years after the Battle of Hogwarts and Hermione and Ron in this in that particular fictional universe date for a couple of years after Hogwarts and then break up. Mm-hmm. And Ron dates other people. Hermione stays single through most of her 20s. She's focusing on her career and she's fine yeah they're both fine exactly so i thought that was unfair mm. to hermione who yeah. is a very kind and loving person beyond her feelings like romantically i also thought snape was a real down point they oh, bring snape i don't even back. want to think about that so when you know when harry is really young he's like 11 or 12 and snape just seems like the worst thing that's ever happened to him because he's so authoritative and gloomy and scary mm-hmm You'd expect play Snape to be like that. Yeah, but worse because he's living in his yeah. worst life. He's worse. He's living his worst nightmare and also having to pretend that he loves it. Yeah, whereas this Snape is A, pretty chipper about everything, makes a lot of jokes. <laughs> makes weird jokes. See, it's like absolutely fine with some kid he's never known coming up to him and being like, you were in love with Lily. A, how does Scorpius even know that? Has he read the Harry Potter series? It seems like he has. <laughs> so it doesn't seem like this is like a known fact in the Wizarding World. B, we saw all those scenes where like Harry would sneak and have a look at the pensieve and like yeah. Snape would absolutely lose his shit and he had no reason to really because Harry's on the side of good. Harry is a part of Lily in a way. Like if, if any, I know he doesn't like Harry because of the James connection, but if anyone was really going to be the person he would admit this stuff it to. Would it would be Harry. probably be Harry, if not, you know, if it's yeah. not Dumbledore or somebody. He goes absolutely mental. Here comes some kid he's never even met, like, pretending to be from the future. And he's like, you love Lily. And he's like, ah, you are right, child. It's like, <laughs> really weird. So yeah. weird. And Cedric Diggory, too, gets completely mm. raked over the coals, where he basically, because he is humiliated in the Triwizard Tournament, becomes a Death Eater and is responsible for helping Voldemort Which get to power. Which is absolutely not the Cedric that we know from the books, who no. was irritatingly honourable, manipulated by a Death Eater because mm-hmm. he was so honourable. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, because Barty Crouch knew that he'd help Harry if he himself had been helped, etc, etc. He set Cedric up yeah, exactly. as part of that plot using... So that's how obvious his nobility was. And even Voldemort as a character, I feel like, is completely <laughs> yes. like... The, in, the, in the dark world where Cedric and Snape are like living under Voldemort, everyone goes around saying for Voldemort and Valor <laughs> I really feel like Valor is not a quality that Voldemort was no. pro he was pretty pro like fear and like extreme subservience to authority which is the opposite of Valor right yeah he really liked confusion chaos terror <laughs> yeah. uh, he did not like showy acts of bravery (laughs) people are like doing this weird thing with their wrists yeah and he also has a child which i just think is fundamentally something voldemort would not do yeah again that's something that the idea that the death eaters were part of a kind of rape circle Mm. is something that comes up in fix sometimes Mm. i don't like reading it i feel like this is the worst possible extension of that yeah because the idea is almost like that voldemort and bellatrix were a couple which Mm. is convincing from the bellatrix character yeah because she loves him she seems but in in like a weird as you say subservient way yeah but not i mean voldemort a just can't experience love so he wouldn't do it for that reason he has no need for an heir because he thinks he's going to live forever and he just doesn't seem interested in sex at no. all. So, no. I mean, I know he's interested in power. So that's the only the only way you could see it is if he, like, as you say, maybe raped her. But it just all seems a bit wrong, doesn't it? It just doesn't sit yeah. with me quite it right. It seems like both having sex and having a child would be part of the humanness that Voldemort was so keen to leave behind mm-hmm. that he thought he was he could rise above that. Yeah. All of all human functions like love and presumably going to the toilet and stuff. Yeah. He didn't think he had to do. But just on the flip side though, I can see that is the kind of rumour 
that might get traction in a post-Voldemort society. Definitely. That, oh God, Voldemort had a secret love child, she's going to kill us all, is the kind of thing the Daily Prophet would probably run. And a really Harry Potter-style thing to have done would have been at the end of this play to reveal that actually she wasn't Voldemort's child, she was just a bit deluded. Yes, exactly. She was just a kind of copycat crazy. Yeah, yeah because then it would like dismiss the idea that you that evil is something that is inheritable. Yeah. Because it's just constantly portrayed as not in the books. On the plus side, I am very pro Scorpius. Same. In this play. He I also is think really good. the actor who plays him is so charismatic and like so great at the role. So it's worth seeing the play for, for Scorpius. Mm. He's really, really funny. And I think he sort of stands in as the like geeky Harry Potter fan at yeah, points. Yes. He's very, as you say, he's almost too knowledgeable about what's <laughs> going on. And... and he's funny. He's just really funny. He gets all the best lines. Yeah. And he really carries the show with him, really just propels the play forward so i think yeah he's a really really well written original character and it just shows what you can do if you actually don't worry too much yeah. about obsessing over the original characters from the series it was great to see some new characters like scorpius who are actually really well fleshed out which is a shame actually instantly that we didn't get more of those characters who didn't have a backstory like rose for instance it would have been fun if she was in it a bit more um, and maybe james and lily albus's brother and sister mm-hmm. like we barely see Hugo. them you go Hugo, Rose's little brother. It would have been nice um, to see a few different... Uh, so you know, I, I would have liked to see all of those characters. I agree with you. If it was like a, the more of a the next generation goes to Hogwarts type play, then they would have all have been more in it and that would have been fun to see how they developed. Yeah, so... Because I haven't seen the play, you have. Were there any other things that either made more sense now you've read the play text or less sense? I don't think there was anything that made more sense in reading the text. I think there are some things in the text which are... A better experience when you watch the play for example there's this bit in the text where it says oh you see that there are like scribbles all over the wall about like this prophecy oh Delphi's yeah in delphi's weird lair so that is like all over the, st- the stage but also the entire theater uh. on all the walls on all the floor and they reveal it by using some uv lights so you've uh, been right. sat in this theater for hours and hours maybe two days if you've gone and come back and you've not had any hint of it and then these uv lights comes on in there that it's like you know all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy in The right. Shining. It's just absolutely everywhere and it's crazy. That's really cool. A lot of the performances are really, really good. So Jamie Parker as Harry is brilliant. The actors who play Hermione and Harry are both really, really brilliant. And all the scenes sort of in the ministry. I could just watch again mm. and again. I thought those were great. As I say, the guy who played Scorpius was brilliant. And a lot of the special effects are, are really something. Like the Dementors, really, how really do something. They, how do they do the time turner bits? Oh, the time turner bit is really clever. So as they spin the time turner, as, as they do in the film, you hear this ticking. There's a lot of ticking noises used very well in the play. And then there's this sort of big wobbly light. And I don't know how they do it, but this big ripple of light basically goes across the entire stage. And it makes it look like like you're looking at water and everything in the water is Mm. like having these big ripples going out from the center which is where the time turner is and it's really convincing it makes you feel really like disoriented so yeah those sorts of effects like i couldn't even find a bad thing to say about them if i really really tried they were perfect so there are lots of things that are better about the play in the flesh as Mm. i'm sure you can expect and also i think it's less jarring to hear people talk about their feelings on stage so yeah because you have to have that kind of mm -hmm. um not entirely realistic yeah stuff that you wouldn't do in a film or in a book where people say things like i loved you you know (laughs) which is just not something that 
you know happens in a harry potter book but does happen in this play so i guess you have to yeah understand that that's a generic did it jar with you when you saw the play performed how draco talks because it really jarred with me written mm. down the way he constantly calls harry by his full name yeah he's a bit like and actually this is a point i would say in general if you've seen the very potter musicals which i would highly recommend the third very potter musical which is you know a musical is extremely silly is not meant to be taken seriously has a plot very similar to this mm. play extremely similar the malfoy character in a very potter musical is played by this little girl and she does a lot of harry potter back to ruin my day and she does this really <laughs> overblown hammy performance and that's sort of what the draco mm. in this play is like except then sometimes he's also like i love hermione like he doesn't make sense <laughs> no. he's very like the very potter musical character who's obsessed with hermione so yeah i would actually recommend watching a very potter musical <laughs> if you were disappointed by this play because it's so great starring darren chris from glee but yeah so i think on the whole we were disappointed right we were and i do think that if you have just listened to all of that and were still thinking about maybe reading the play i wouldn't bother just don't 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 put yourself through it maybe go and see it and enjoy it as as anna says like a really cool special effects spectacle but i know jk rowling is in charge of the canon she made it up Mm -hmm. and she says this is canon and so fine it's her canon but i think you are completely at liberty to just disregard it you really don't have to incorporate it into your imaginary world Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The next thing we're going to talk about this week is the David Bowie prom, which we went to last Friday. It's part of the prom series at the Albert Hall, which is a classical music festival that runs for, I think, about three months with different concerts every single night. This one featured the Stargaze Orchestra and vocalists, including Amanda Palmer, Neil Hannon, Lauren Vula, and Anna Calvi. It was billed as a celebration kind of inspired by the wide variety of David Bowie's music, not specifically a tribute concert, mm-hmm. which I think is quite important in the way that you appreciated it. Because we, we had a great time. At we had this a concert. great time. I have to thank Caroline for taking me because it was just, I've never been to the proms before and I've certainly never been to an evening like that before, which I think probably a lot of proms people mm. hadn't yeah. either. It was very, very strange, very unusual. And for that, I thought it was perfect. We had a great time. Yeah, we had a really great time. But reading the reviews of other critics afterwards, we were kind of in the minority. Yeah, I read a lot of very sarcastic tweets from because mm. this was broadcast on TV. It was TV. broadcast live on TV and the radio, I think. Yeah, yeah. so it was on BBC4 and BBC Radio 6, I think, maybe. I think, yeah. So a lot of people were not in the concert, but watching along. And people were really, like, horrified and making jokes, like, during Space Oddity. Oh, I think they should do Space Oddity next. <laughs> and, the, you know, the general vibe was like, why have you taken these really, really great songs and turned them into completely different songs? I mean, that's what they did. They did alter them. But for me, that's the point. I don't feel like they were ever pretending they were doing anything else. Even I remember going to the press conference when they announced the program for the proms which normally happens in about may every year and then it actually starts in july and when they were talking about the david burrow prom they were like yeah we're really really pleased to be able to have squeezed it into the schedule but we're not doing a like night of covers Mm -hmm. we've invited this particular orchestra to helm it because they have a reputation for doing interesting contemporary classical music spins on other works Mm -hmm. so they were always aiming for trying to make new stuff and push the boundaries yeah and i can understand how you might be flicking through your tv guide and be like oh the proms do david bowie and and expect bowie's hits done with a beautiful big string orchestra brass you know i can completely understand how you might expect that and then be disappointed i definitely felt like the audience in the hall were really enjoying they were vibing it. they were really loving it (laughs) and yeah it had some fascinating stuff in it like john kale performed a couple of songs i think lauren vula was my favorite Mm. she was so so good and really... Her voice is just amazing. I, I, I agree with you. Out of all the vocalists, she was the, the best. She I could listen to her for hours. Yeah, and actually, I think in general, the women singers, her, Amanda Palmer, Anna Calvi, so on, mm-hmm. I thought did more interesting things with the songs. Yeah. Maybe that's because they don't feel quite the like pressure of inheritance that I think some of the male singers do. And I think some of the male singers were chosen for the fact that they were clearly influenced yeah. by David Bowie. Yeah, Neil Hannon particularly, and the singer from Soft 
Purcell. You can really hear it in their voices, how much David Bowie was an inspiration for them. There were moments where they were talking about how much he inspired them and I actually felt a little bit emotional. Also, the real inheritance of the night was the fact that they were doing like quite weird stuff. Mm. A lot of it was very dark, I felt like. A lot of the the recompositions emphasised the sort of spookiness of a lot of David Bowie's songs and the, the futurism of a lot of his songs rather than the sort of catchiness, the rock and roll element. Yes, I think that's true. I was actually surprised to find that I enjoyed the trio of songs they did from the most recent album, the last Mm. album, the most. Mm. Particularly Black Star, Mm. which Amanda Palmer duetted with Anna Calvi. They were lovely together. That was absolutely amazing. I I would like buy that cover instantly because I thought it was fantastic. It was great. And they really explored it in its length as Mm. well. They didn't, you know, reduce it at all, um, which was great. One of my favourite moments was Amanda Palmer doing Heroes, just Mm. because I think Heroes is such an emotional song for me that you can could have been anyone doing it almost i mean amanda palmer's got a really strong voice so she carried it well but i just i was waiting for it and when it came i was just like oh god this song is just so great yeah it was such an interesting mix of musicians as well because the stargaze orchestra is an unusual like it's not a conventional orchestra mm-hmm. setup they have there's a, not very many of them is there's there? not very many of them there's maybe like 15 of them mm-hmm. all together lots of them play multiple instruments they you know they play the flute but they'll also play like the bass flute and the piccolo or the there cla- was some shit up there i'd never seen the <laughs> clarinet and the, like a bass clarinet which is not a very common instrument in orchestra even for really big scale symphony stuff and then like the conductor sometimes he was playing the piano sometimes he was playing the violin sometimes people were singing who then at other times were playing instruments very versatile group and obviously not afraid to like shake it up for every single song i thought they were amazing i was so impressed and mm. it was so daring everything mm. that they were doing um, yeah. yeah and they had some electronic sounds in there as well mm-hmm. yeah and ditto the soloists the some of them they didn't sing in the way that you're necessarily accustomed to mm-hmm. they did what they thought the new version of the song should do and they'd commissioned some really interesting young british composers to work yeah. on arrangements anna meacham was in mm. there who has an album that i really enjoy that's sort of electronic and quite dark and quite scary mm. sometimes she was great it's nice to see people like that being used for something like this yeah and also the fact that they were crediting the arrangers and composers before each song mm-hmm. basically suggesting that they were as instrumental in the transformation of the songs as the people performing them mm-hmm. yeah so overall I, I thought it was a fascinating note of music so and did i kind of what the proms and particularly the late night proms are always meant to be you know at the seven thirty proms every night they generally have a big visiting orchestra or choir and they play a mixture of like famous stuff from the like centuries of classical repertoire and then also the bbc does a lot of commissioning new compositions mm-hmm. for the prom and then the late night proms were an innovation i feel not more than 10 years ago where they normally start at 10 15 and they generally don't get such a big audience they're shorter they're normally about an hour hour and a half and it's where they do stuff that they probably couldn't sell a whole 7 30 concert of and that ranges from like early renaissance music that has a smaller pool of fans to stuff like david bowie last year they had a grime prom mm. that they did jointly with six music that was i think a not dissimilar thing so yeah i really thought it was a good innovation yeah same you know if you're watching it on iplayer just have those caveats in mind and you'll probably really enjoy it yeah Like the dolphins, like dolphins can swim, nothing will keep us together, oh we can beat them, 
Last week, Caroline was going to introduce herself to the work of Heather Havrileski, an agony aunt for New York Magazine and elsewhere, who has a book out at the moment called How to Be a Person in the World. Caroline, did you do that? I did indeed. I read back through the last two or three months worth, actually, of um, Ask Polly columns. And it's so interesting, because... Obviously, each week she's dealing with a particular question posed to her by a reader. And these aren't questions that are like, Dear Polly, my husband's sister keeps nagging me about what to feed the children, and I don't think it's any of her business, but I also don't want to be rude to her. What should I do? It's not these kinds of questions, is it? No, they're far more existential and deep questions. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there was one that I read that was like, why am I always too much for men? That's a good one, I remember. Which is really good. They range from stuff about romantic life to friendship to professional life. And they're mostly from women. Mm -hmm. And it's a very safe space women reading area, I felt like. definitely. And having read, yeah, about 12 or 13 of them, I think some trends kind of emerge in her approach to all of these problems. Yes, do tell. I think the biggest one is about self-reliance. A lot of the time when people write in, they say, you know, oh, I really, I've always really wanted to, you know, pursue my, my writing, but I feel all this pressure from family and society to, like, have this job I hate and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and her answer is always... Yeah, it's really difficult to want to do something that isn't going to make you so much money. But if the answer to will it make you happy is yes, then you must do it. You know, so it's all about finding out exactly what it is you want as an individual and then doing it and politely disregarding anyone who disagrees with that. Yeah, that is definitely a trend. I think related to that as well, this kind of idea of self-reliance and individual expression, she has a really strong line in advising about self-care. Yeah. Which I feel is a phrase that I've seen more and more bandied about on the internet in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it really just refers to consulting your own wishes, not being selfish, not to the detriment of other people necessarily, but not putting yourself through either physical or mental hardship because you think it's what other people want. Yeah. You know, Tarvi Gevinson at Rookie mm-hmm. has referred to this in some of her editor's letters as being your own mother. Yeah. And like caring for yourself in the way that you might care for like a vulnerable person in your life. On the newsletter that the Another Round podcast does, mm-hmm. there's a really good section heading where it's just called, it's called like the self-care section and the subheading is uh, drink some water, take your meds, call your mum, go outside. <laughs> As, as those are like yeah. four steps to feeling better about whatever it is that's making you feel not good. Yeah. And that's kind of the vibe is, you know, don't overlook 
the simple things that will make your life easier in the long term so if that if that happens to be staying in bed today then you should do it Mm -hmm. or if it's just making a really simple change to your routine where you walk a bit further because it will make you feel better you should do it Mm -hmm. and if you get those things in place then other bigger more existential problems heather suggests will start to seem a lot less big and scary too yeah definitely i think that's pretty good advice generally yeah absolutely so that's kind of what I gathered from from reading them is that she has this underlying life philosophy mm-hmm. that you tap into, but she personalises it for each question that she gets. And obviously she includes specific examples from her own life or from the world to try and help the person who's writing in. And yeah. I think that's partly why I liked it so much is because some agony aunts are too specific because there's no wider thing you can extrapolate from it. It's yeah. all like, you should get your husband to do this specific thing and then it will be easier. You know? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Mm, okay. Or they're way too vague and wishy-washy. And I'm thinking particularly back to my teenage days of reading like Seventeen magazine and stuff. Mm-hmm. They were always just like, yeah, just like maybe slow down a bit and things will seem easier. Follow your heart. Oh, God. When they've written in being like, my heart is contradicting itself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what Ask Polly gives you is a really good blend of here is how to solve this specific problem but also informed by the tenets of her own like continuous philosophy from which you can take and interpret what you want so a fan yeah definitely i I really want to get hold of this book as well i'll lend it to you so yeah do you have check out her columns guys and her book too so caroline what about for me next week so for next week i am going to recommend you a film that I just saw, actually, and I'm still thinking about, which is the film Eight and a Half, directed by famous Italian director Fellini. Ooh, we're getting highbrow. Yeah, so we're going super highbrow. So this is a film from 1963, from kind of the, I guess you'd say, like the peak of Italian cinema. It's definitely up there with what are considered the greats, I suppose. It's one of those like films about making a film. Its central character is a film director who's got massive creative block, really. He is way, way behind on delivering a script and a treatment for a film that is sort of already being made around him, even though he hasn't told anybody what it's about. (laughs) So he's got all of these actors being like, what's my part? What's my part? They're already on the set. The set which makes no sense whatsoever because he hasn't told anyone what it should be. He's got a producer working around the clock at doing God knows what because he hasn't told anyone what they're supposed to be doing. And in the middle of all this, he is having a kind of existential man crisis where he's like having an affair with one woman but also really happy with his wife Mm -hmm. and intermingled with all of this he is having these intense flashbacks to his childhood where he you know grew up going to a very catholic like seminary type school and uh, all the various ways that he tried to transgress and was then punished and all this kind of thing so this all gets like stirred together in this kind of inexplicable mess you might say <laughs> although it is also you can just tell when you're watching it that i don't really understand this but it's definitely a masterpiece okay cool i'm intrigued can't wait to find out more thanks for listening to seriously the pop culture podcast from the new statesman if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to seriously all you have to do is search srsly in itunes or any other podcasting app you use while you're there it would be really great if you could leave us an itunes review as it helps other people find the show we also rely on you listeners for your recommendations so if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch 
You can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and that they should be listening to it too. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 